Good morning, church. If you noticed when you came in, if you got a bulletin, the bulletin just says Happy New Year on the front, because I had no idea what I was going to talk about uh, this morning. Uh, it's the challenge. Uh, that's why I, I like, uh, I, I'm a very routine person, and so when, I, when we go through books of the Bible, it's very, I don't have to think about where I'm going to be or what we're going to teach on. Um, so these, the holiday is challenging for me just to seek the Lord because I'm so indecisive, you know, and one minute the Lord is you know, put this verse on my heart or this passage and then it's that passage. And so uh, it's New Year's and so oftentimes pastors will choose some kind of New Year's type of sermon. And I have no particular reason why I chose the passage we'll be in this morning, which is Genesis chapter 22. Uh, Not particularly a New Year's message, but just one of those passages that I would call a pillar in the Word of God. So Genesis 22 is where we'll be. If you didn't bring a Bible, uh, raise your hand, and the guys in the back will come forward. As they come, tackle them and grab a Bible from them. But no, put, seriously, just put your hand up nice and high, and the guys in the back will bring a Bible to you. You don't have to tackle them. Just ask them and say, please, and they'll give it to you. Genesis 22. We've been talking a little bit about um, just reading the Bible. There's been some stuff on the website I've put on, and... Um, and an ongoing discussion, some questions that have been asked about, you know, what do I do when I don't have a desire to read my Bible? And, and so we're talking about that on the website. Uh, this passage, so, so I picked something out of Genesis just to encourage you. Uh, many of you may be very familiar with this passage. Some of you may be the first time you're ever reading it. But it was at a Bible study, uh, the first uh, men's Bible study that I went to. I walked in. And I said to the guy who was leading it, I said, I do not understand this book. I don't get it. I keep reading Genesis 1 through 5. And, and that study was in the life of Abraham, which is what we'll be looking at, a portion of that today. And, and during that Bible study, something happened in my life. I, like I understood that this book was for me, was real. And, that it was, and God spoke to me and, and it led me on a whole new course in my life. So I pray that maybe as we study Genesis 22... Maybe God will do the same thing in your life if he hasn't already. This book contains truth that is not available anywhere else in the world. This book is God's revealed truth to mankind. You can't get that anywhere else. And anywhere else you can get only is this, all comes from this source. Anything that is truth or that deals with truth comes from the mouth of God and, and as it's recorded by the Holy Spirit in this book. So it is a huge thing. And I was thinking about this for myself. What I get to do, uh, I'm a mouthpiece for the living God. That's a heavy thing. That's a big deal that, that what I say, I'm speaking this morning and every morning and every time I open my mouth, my mouth is not my own. Like Isaiah, the hot coals, you know. Uh, touching my mouth, and realizing that every time I speak, I'm speaking for the living God. So my prayer, year after year, and week after week, and month after month, is that I would preach with passion and with accuracy. Accuracy, so that what I say that you guys can know. That's why we, we open the book together. So as the Bibles have been passed out, we're open to Genesis 22. That way you know that what I'm saying is not from me, it's from God himself. For that. So... Uh, Let's pray, and we'll get into this chapter. Father, 
I just pray that you open up our, our eyes to see the wondrous things from your word. Lord, that you would set our hearts on fire to hear your voice in these pages. Not that we think that this book brings us life. But Lord, we know this book points us to you. And it's you that give us life. That this book is from your mind and from your heart and these things you've revealed that only we would never have known them, Lord. We would never have understood them. We could have never discovered them on our own by searching. But you have chosen to reveal yourself to us in very specific ways so that we might know the living God who loved us and gave his life for us. Father, we just come with expectant hearts, uh, with excited uh, minds, Lord, ready to hear what you have for us. And we pray that you would speak fresh to us this new year in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Genesis chapter 22, the life of this man, Abraham, uh, the father of faith. God puts this chapter in the Bible... It's an absolutely fascinating chapter. It's a heart-wrenching chapter uh, in the life of Abraham. It's challenging on many levels. We see uh, the first use of some very important words in this chapter. Of course, Genesis is the beginning of everything. And and we see the first use of the word worship. The first use of the word test. The first use of the word love. All in Genesis 2 chapter 22. Uh, Some of you already know a bit about Abraham. He was, uh, his father carved little pagan idols and God called him out of a place called Ur uh, in the Middle East there and, and, and developed this relationship with him, made him some promises and Abraham believed them. And he has been for us an example of faith and walking by faith and living by faith in his relationship with God, this friendship he has with God. And and so in this chapter 22, one of the things we'll see, one of the challenges we'll face, is that faith without works is dead. And that when you say you you love, when you say you have faith, there are things that that are evidence of, of that. And so we'll see the depth of Abraham's faith But there's a second story going on. There's an illustration happening, a portrait being painted of God as the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we'll see that as we go through. So we see the depth of Abraham's faith. And the second thing we'll see is the height of God's love for us. Fantastic thing. So let's jump right in, start reading. Chapter 22, verse 1, starts with, Now it came to pass after these things. These things are a whole lot of things. Back to chapter 12, all of the things that Abraham has been through up until now. So a period of time has passed, and it says, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. God tested Abraham. God had made some promises. God had promised this birth, this miraculous birth would happen. Abraham and Sarah were old. And God said, hey, you're going to have 
a son. Because Abraham didn't have any children. And God made this promise to Abraham that he was going to be the father of a multitude. Now, how many of you know it's hard to be a father of a multitude when you don't have any kids? That doesn't make any sense. Lord, how can I be the father of a multitude, of of a whole nation, and yet uh, we don't have any kids? What are you going to do about that? How how are you going to work this out, God? And God says, well, you're going to have a son. So Sarah says, great, but I'm old, and she wasn't able to have kids. So God must be wanting to do this a different way, so they employ uh, Hagar, the the, uh, maidservant, and they have this son named Ishmael. God says, no, Abraham, you missed it. When I said you're going to have a son, I mean you and your wife. And I know you're old. And Abraham said, God, how can we? I mean, I'm like 100 years old and she's 90. You know, how are we going to have kids? And God said, I'm going to do it. And they had seen that son. His name is Isaac. So Ishmael was born first. He was the son of their attempt to fulfill God's word. That never, how many of you know and have made that mistake? where you try to make it happen in your own power, in your own way. You, you think the end justifies the means. And that's never how God works. To God, the means are important. He wants us to acknowledge Him in all of our ways. And then He'll direct our path. And so they tried to fulfill it, tried to make it happen. Uh, it didn't work out as they had thought. God said, I'm going to do it in my power. And, and Isaac would be born and that's chapter 21 and it's after these things now isaac has grown up he's he's gone through infancy and childhood and he's thrown sand in his brother's face and all these things they would do out in the desert and he's he's grown up and now he's potentially some would say 25 to 30 years old by the time we get to chapter 22 we don't know exactly we know i think he's about 37 when uh his mom dies so we, guess, we can only guess probably about 20 to 30 years old. And the Bible says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham, said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Uh, tests come our way. Now, was God looking to, um, to cause Abraham to fail? Is this God's intention for testing? Does he want us to fail? I mean, sometimes I felt in school like the teachers were just mean. And they only gave tests because they want to see us suffer. And see us struggle. And they want to see us fail. Because teachers enjoy their red pen. My teachers always enjoyed the red pen. And they would go to great lengths to circle stuff in red that I got wrong. But that's not the kind of testing that happens. This is a revealing. And and some of your Bibles might say proved. God proved. Uh, If you say, hey, I can lift that amount of weight. Or I can do that thing. Someone else might say, oh yeah, prove it. Put your money where your mouth is. Show what you're able to do. And that's what's happening with Abraham. God is testing him. God is proving him. Because it's already been said he's, he believed God. Well, let's see. Does he really believe God? Because faith is invisible, isn't it? I mean, faith is like love. Love is invisible. Someone can say, I love, but how do you know it's true? Unless there is some type of outward evidence of the inward reality. And it's the same way with faith. You can say all day long. Matter of fact, James uses this very story as an illustration that faith, faith without works is dead and shows this story as an illustration of Abraham's faith demonstrated by this very action he's going to take in this chapter. Faith without works 
is dead. And so the test, this proving, is just revealing uh, Abraham knows what's there. Hasn't been able to live it out yet, but every test shows what's there of our faith. That's why tests come. It reveals. But I think what's happening here, I think why God has allowed this story to be in here, why he's included this very important passage, is to reveal it to me. And to reveal it to you. What really lies inside this man of faith, Abraham. So Abraham says, here I am. Now look what he asks him to do. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. We're going to see that repeated over and over again. Your son, your only son. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, first use of the word love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Whoa. Take now your son. Now I have a son. Uh, and I love him. And this, what Abraham is going to go through in this, in this passage is almost unthinkable. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. There's some things in your life that you love, no doubt. There's some things in my life that I, I love going to the gym. I just do. I just, something, I just love it. I just enjoy it. I love riding my bike. These are things I love. But none of them, none of them come close to the love a father has for his son, especially his only son. Now, there's one thing I have noticed. This is kind of a side note. Something derails in a young man's life when he does not know his father's love. I can't, I can't explain it, but I'll tell you this. I've seen it derail more young men. And mentally, emotionally, when they have a father who should be loving them, but is very hard on them, very discouraging to them, very abusive or neglectful of them, I can't explain it. But the first use of the word love in the Bible is not between uh, Adam and Eve. It's between Abraham and Isaac, a father and a son. First use of the word love. And just want to say to the fathers that are sitting here this morning, make sure your sons and your daughters know that you love them because you've demonstrated that love to them. Because you've lived it, you've loved uh, Something derails, if that's, I don't know, I can't explain it, but just something happens in, in a young man when he doesn't know that. So take, go home, make a phone call, do what you have to do uh, to begin today to demonstrate that love. He says, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Something that, that Abraham loves more dearly than anything else in his life, potentially. Go to the land of Moriah. Now where is the land of Moriah? That's Jerusalem. That's the Temple Mount. That's the place where David bought a threshing floor. And I think Second uh, Chronicles, I'm not exactly sure, but uh, David buys a threshing floor, a place where they would thresh wheat. So high up on a mountain, you know, on a, on, well, mountains are relative in Israel, on, on a large hill, and, and that's where they would thresh wheat because you get the wind blowing and they'd throw the wheat up and the chaff would be blown away and the wheat would fall to the ground and so this threshing floor, David buys it, and the guy offers to give it to him for free. And David says, no, 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 I'm going to pay for it. I'm not going to offer anything to God that costs me nothing. 
That's the same Mount Moriah. The same Mount Moriah which is where now the temple is. So the place where we were there, those of us that went to Israel stood there uh, on that spot that was potentially the place where Abraham took Isaac to offer him. Take him there and offer him there as a burnt offering in one of the mountains which I shall tell you. So is, it that, did, is this what is God in favor of child sacrifice now? The, the surrounding cultures, the pagan cultures, would have, were, it's highly attested archaeologically that there was child sacrifice. We, we read that in the Bible. God never likes it. God is always opposed to it. God is not looking for him to sacrifice Isaac. He's looking for him to be willing to sacrifice anything. You see, because Isaac was the son of the promise. He was the son that God had promised. And sometimes in our lives, here's a problem. And this is what I hope for this church, for my life, for New Year's, is that God is first in everything. And there are some times where other things that we love get in the way. And You know, I love going to the gym and I'll drive to the gym and I say to myself in my mind, what if God called me to be in a place where there was no gym? I have a niece who's in Madagascar right now serving in the Peace Corps. There's no gym. There's no gold Madagascar, you know, nearby. I said, would, would, would you give that up for me, Steve? He looks at Peter when Peter's recommissioned in John chapter 21. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these we don't know what these are in the passage, but what are these to you? What are those things that, that oh, I love this so much? Would you give it up for God? Who, who do, you, do you love that more than you love God? You just might. You might have to wrestle that out. I have to wrestle that out all the time. Steve, what is it? You know, having gone through this myself, having given up in some ways, guys all understand our identity when I was called to leave the job I had, which I loved. I loved my job. And God said, Steve, do you love me more than that? Yes, Lord, you know. You know I love you. And in some ways, calling me even to give up my identity. We, we guys, we find our identity in our jobs sometimes, right? Our identity. And, and God was asking me, Steve, will you give up even the thing that you want other people to identify you as? Even the thing in your life that you want other people to know you for. We have an identity crisis. Do you know that? We have this identity crisis where we love other people to know how to identify us. We put on our license plates. That's, that's, they're, they're called vanity plates. And why, do you ever think about that? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why do we, in, a story, in telling stories with people, why do we go out of our way to let them know that thing about us? Because that's our identity. Because we want them to know that about us. Why do we want people to know that about us? Because that's what we feel gives us value to other people. What God wants and what we need is our value found in him. Is your value found? Because if there's something in your life, you say, I love that thing. I cannot give it up. It is your idol. It is your God. And it is the thing you find your value in. And it is a false God. None, nothing else, nothing else in this world will last. And if you find your value in something that's perishing, uh, then that means your value is also perishing. If on your license plate it has your job, if on your license plate it has, you know, dog lover or something like that, or whatever it is on, on your license plate, or what, 
that thing, if that goes, guess what else goes? Your value, your identity. It is most secure to be anchored in that love relationship, that identity I have with Jesus Christ. Because it is eternal. And no one can take it from me. It may not be popular here on the earth. God challenges me in this all the time. Because I got identity issues. And this is a place where God is constantly refining me, testing me. So he says, will you, will you offer up your son? Because it's quite possible that their love for, I, their love for the promise and, and the result had exceeded their love for God. So he says, I, I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Now, verse 3, there's no argument. We, we have seen no emotional uh, outpouring in this. We see no questioning of God. At least it's not mentioned. I am sure Abraham wrestled with this. God, this is the son you said that all the promises, you said I'm going to be a father of multitudes, many, many peoples. And this is the only son. So if he dies, the promise dies. So there's a contradiction, isn't there? That Abraham's got to face. You ever had to face a seemingly contradiction with God? That God said one thing, but another thing seems to be happening and it seems that those two things can't work out? And I'm sure Abraham did not understand And yet, verse 3 says, he rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. God, I'm not going to do it until I understand what you're doing. That's not faith. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you can see it, it's not faith. So he rose early. He didn't tarry till the middle of the day. He didn't wait till the evening. He didn't put it off till tomorrow. He rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering. Can you imagine? I mean, I, I, I enjoy splitting wood. Now, Jacob splits the wood around our place now. Um, but imagine Abraham splitting the wood you know, they're taking all the things they need for the sacrifice, for the burnt offering. They're going to build an altar, put the wood on there, and then the, the animal or the sacrifice goes on top of that. And a burnt offering is completely consumed. And there's Abraham splitting the wood. What is he thinking about? Can you imagine what's going through his mind as he's splitting the wood, thinking, what in the world is God calling me to do? He split the wood for the burnt offering and he rose and went to the place of which God had told him. So God had told him, go to the mountain of Moriah. And he, he heads out. He's got his two, the two servants and his son. He hasn't told, Isaac doesn't know what's happening. Isaac just says, okay, I'm coming with you, dad. Not sure exactly what's going on. Remember, 25, 30 years old possibly. Then on the third day, that's significant, the third day, because we know the third day is always significant in the Bible, right? Because the third day is the day that what happened? Jesus rose from the grave. So for, for three days, they're traveling, and for three days, Isaac is a dead man in his father's eyes. Jesus, for three years of his ministry, really for his whole life, was a walking dead man. In terms of the fact that he had always been headed for Jerusalem. Always been headed for that cross. There's a picture here that's developing. 
like like one of those Polaroids that you know, used to have where you, it comes out, comes out, and, and it, you got to wait for it. You got to wave it in the air, and it, it sort of develops slowly. This picture of of God and His Son, and what happened between them. You know, God speaks of His Son, His only begotten Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so Abraham is is a type of God, and Isaac is a type of Jesus Christ in this passage. And so now the son, the only son whom he loves. So God loves his son like a father loves a son. This only son is now going to be sacrificed. The son of promise. If Jesus stays in the grave, then he's no Messiah. So this son is now going to be offered as an offering. So for three days they walk together. Did Abraham... Tell him the things he wished he'd have said earlier. Did, did he share with him some things uh, that were on his heart about his love for him? What did they talk about during those three days that they were traveling together? I don't know. doesn't tell us. But you know that they had conversation. You know that they talked. You know that Abraham is thinking all along about what is about to happen. The third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, this is fantastic, stay here with the donkey The lad and I will go yonder, from the south, go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. That's the voice of faith. Now, there's a couple places. One I mentioned, James chapter 2. There's another place where this story shows up. Let me uh, mark my page here and read this to you. This is in Hebrews 11. I didn't have you mark it. I just want you to listen. You can check it out later. Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, the writer says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. In Isaac your seed shall be called. Listen to that. This is the son of promise. Now here's how he did it. This is why he was able to do it, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So as they go, he says, look, you guys, you young men stay here. Me and Isaac, we're going to go yonder. I like that, don't you? We're going to go yonder, and we're going to worship, and we. He doesn't say, I am coming back. He says, we are coming back. Because he believed. Now look, Abraham had learned to trust God. God said, you're going to have a son through your, your wife, who's old, and you're old, and you're going to have this son. And he saw it come to pass. He was learning to trust God. And so when God makes a promise, Abraham knows God keeps it. And so now, he doesn't know how God's going to sort this out. But he knows somehow, Isaac is not going to die and remain dead. Even if God has to raise him from the dead, from ashes, that that is what God is going to do. And so he says, we're going, by the way, look at that first use of the word worship. Isn't that fantastic? He doesn't say, you know, Isaac, uh, get the wood, uh, young men, get the guitars, get the bass, get the drums, get the speakers. We're going to go worship. Uh, I love seeing the young generation passionate about singing to the Lord. And you see it, you can watch it on, you know, on church videos and you can see it on, on the different channels. And you can see churches, congregations filled with young people just having very emotional outpouring to God. 
And our young generation has been sold this definition of worship that it's an emotional, musical experience. And, and I'm, look, there are some times when, when I, we're worshiping, we're singing together, and it is very emotional. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's good. But don't be fooled into thinking that's worship. That just because you've come to church and you've sang a few songs and you've felt an emotional feeling, that's not worship. Here, worship is involved giving up the thing you love most sometimes for God. Worship is, is connected to love. That, As I said before, if you say in your heart, hey, I love that thing, and that thing is what drives your life, that thing is the thing you sacrifice everything else to do, you might say, uh, like me, I love the gym, and therefore I rearrange my schedule to go there to do that thing. If I cannot give that up, if I would not give that up, that's what I worship. Which is really, in some ways, the thing that we worship, folks, if we're honest, is the person we see in the mirror. We worship us. And then, therefore, our worship becomes about us. Now, it's not about what God wants. It's about how we feel. Now, I've been, I, I, we, it was a great worship time. Why? How do you know? Because I felt good. I felt great. I felt something that must have been worship. Maybe, maybe not. God is looking for people who will bow down to him, who will humble themselves and obey. To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is to worship. Especially when to obey his will is opposite from what your will is. That's love. That's, love is giving up your dream for someone else's dream to come true. That's love. That's worship. And that's what Abraham does. So please, understand, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to, ha- to, have in, to enjoy worship. I think we should, and I do enjoy it. I do enjoy it. But I recognize that worship is so much more. And here's, the again, the first use of the word worship is connected to sacrificing the most loved thing because God has asked for it. Now watch what happens next. We're going up to worship. We'll be back. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it where? On Isaac, his son. See, they had taken everything. Who knows if there's trees? You know, they're up on the top of this hill. There's no trees around, so they got to bring the stuff with them. And who's carrying the wood on his back but the beloved son? And what a picture of Jesus carrying his cross, the beam of the cross, the wood laid on the son's back, carrying to his own sacrifice. Do you see the picture? Is that clear? He lays the wood on Isaac, his son, took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. See, no one else would join them. The two of them would go together. And just as God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, the two of them together. Now, verse 7, Isaac recognizes something's not right here. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father. Again, the relationship continues to be uh, emphasized and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, uh, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? He said, Dad, we've forgotten something. We're going up to sacrifice. We forgot the most important thing. We've got the wood, you know, we've got the fire, but we're missing the lamb. And it's what he says. He says, 
where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Can you imagine? Abraham's heart must have sunk when he asked that question. We don't hear the answer to that question through the whole Old Testament. We finally hear the answer to that question. You know when we hear it? We hear it from the mouth of John the Baptist when John says, Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away. So that's where the Lamb is finally revealed in Christ. But he says, look, we, we don't have the Lamb. Now again, fascinating. Uh, where's the Lamb? Verse 8, Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the Lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Son, God's going to provide the lamb. Now, the King James says God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. But the New King James, the same idea, same idea. God will provide for himself the lamb for, the, for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there. And place the wood in order. Uh, Isaac, we don't know if Isaac was helping or, or standing and looking on. Uh, Abraham begins to pile up the stones, builds the altar, piles the wood, knowing in his heart what is about to happen and what he's about to do. Abraham built an altar there. He placed the wood in order and he bound Isaac, his son. And laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now again, as a father, it's unthinkable. I mean, it's one thing when something happens to one of our kids. It's another thing when you do it. When, when you cause it to happen. If you've ever, you know, I remember when, when I shut one of the kids' fingers in the door. You ever done that? Like, you know, you're getting out of the car when they're little and you don't see them. They're holding on. They're getting out and, and you shut the door and, and all of a sudden, like, it takes a minute, you know? <laughs> like, the, the, for the first 30 seconds, it, it seems like eternity, but there's sort of like this, the body is registering what's happened to those fingers, you know? And then all of a sudden, the tears just start to begin to fill the eyes. And, and you know, you can't open the door fast enough to get those fingers out of there because you've just closed the door on your kid's fingers and you just feel like an inch big when you do that when you hurt them and now abraham has to tie up his son hand and foot now his son is 30 25 abraham's 100 i'm thinking isaac could go dad i can take you you know i'm a young man dad you're not looking so young anymore but just like christ bound First by ropes, then by nails to the cross. That wasn't what held him there. We know that. You didn't have to bind him. There was no resistance. And so for Isaac, just like that type of Christ, we read of no resistance to this. He willingly, has he learned faith from his father? Is he now, is Abraham in this testing, in this proving, passing on to his son, the son of the promise, this, this measure of faith that he's understood with God? The wood's in order. He binds Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Can you even imagine? Just there's, I can't even picture my son laying there on the altar and me about to take 
his life, the willingness in my heart to do because God has asked, trusting that God could raise him from the dead and would make it right somehow. Again, uh, verse 11 says, but the angel of the Lord called to heaven, uh, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Isaac's like, whoo, man. Yes, yeah. He's got the knife raised up. And at the 11th hour, God steps in. Because it wasn't Isaac's sacrifice that God wanted at all, was it? This is not what God wanted. What God wanted was Abraham's heart. Listen, what God wanted was all of Abraham's heart. All of it. The title, I called nothing like getting to the title toward the end of the sermon, right? I titled this message, Hold Nothing Back. Hold Nothing Back. It's a new year coming. And how many of you live your lives and you just, you just, you're just an, enough Christian to be Christian, but you're, you're still, you're, you're holding back. You're scared to put all your eggs in one basket. You're scared to jump in with both feet. You're scared to just be and do what God has called you to be and do because of what your family might think or because of what your friends might think or because of what your coworkers might think. And you're holding back and you're living this life where there's this reserve in your heart. Well, your heart's divided. God didn't want the sacrifice. He wanted the willingness. And I, I've told the story before. I'll mention it one more time. Uh, I remember when, when Frank and Tom and I had talked on the phone when we realized God, what God was calling us to do. And I remember, uh, you know, it was, it was probably about 9 o'clock at night. They were on their way home from a Bible study in Louisa. They had talked to the pastor there and really realized and, and come to that final realization that God was calling us to plant a Calvary Chapel here. This group of guys that knew nothing about planting churches and hadn't been to the seminars and didn't have the books. We didn't know what we were doing, and we still don't. Praise the Lord for that. And I remember they called and said, Steve, you're going to be a pastor. I know. I knew it I knew it was true. I knew it was true. And I remember asking Helga, are we ready to give up whatever it takes to fulfill what God is calling us to do. I mean, are we ready to move? Are we ready, you know, who knows if we can afford what we have now? Don't know, don't know. And so that night, sort of in our hearts, was this willingness to do whatever it took to follow God's plan for our lives. And it still exists. That same uh, thing, that same wrestling still takes place with God. I want to give up and be willing to give up whatever it is in my life that gets in the way of me fully following you. Just like with Peter, do you love me more than these? And God didn't, he didn't ask us to move. He didn't take our house. He didn't take our car. He didn't, take, he didn't do those things that maybe we were fearful of. What he wanted was the willingness. And it was the same thing as the obedience. In your heart, what is it? What is that thing that you say, God, I only want you to come this far, but no further? This is mine, God. This, you can have this. I told God, I'll teach Bible studies as long as you want. Just don't make me a pastor. I, that, is the, that, that is the truth. That is the truth. Are you willing? Are you willing? And so, the, the, notice, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am, just as he said at the beginning. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. This is, this is really important. This is like highlight material. This is underlining material. Are you ready? Do not lay a hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. That's the angel of the Lord speaking. So this was 
uh, probably a, a pre-incarnation of, of Jesus Christ speaking now, saying, Abraham, don't lay a hand on your son. I know what I needed to know. And God already knew it, but now we know it. Now I know that you fear God. Remember, it's, faith is invisible until it's revealed by works. Now I know that you fear God. Why? Since you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now remember the picture of Christ and God? And now we know. And now we know that God loves us. Why? Because he did not withhold his only son, the son whom he loves from us. He gave his best. He held nothing back for us. And the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's a lot of love. I mean, think about the person, what you're willing to sacrifice and give for the person that you love. And God says, now that love is revealed. That love is made visible because you've given to me the thing that matters most and now I'm giving it back to you. And sometimes that's what he wants us to, God, I'm going to give it to you. Sometimes it's, you know what, you, you, know, you, you struggle when it comes time to write that check, you know, to the Lord. Because money, we love money. I mean, we love money. Money does stuff for us. Money makes me, I buy clothes that make me feel good. You know, I, I can buy, buy cars that make me look good and whatever it is. And trust me, you need more than the car to make you look good. At least that's what my wife tells me. Uh, we love money. And so we, we sit and we, oh, God, I'm, I'm giving you this. Oh, Lord, I'm giving this to you. you know, don't, no man is God's debtor. There is none of us who've sacrificially given to God that haven't received more back than we've given. In any area of in my life, I have received so much more blessing for the little I've given than, than you could imagine. And it continues to be poured out, and pressed down, and, and overflowing in my life. For the little bits I've given God, little places of faith I've trusted Him, little places I've stepped out, I've always come out on top. God has always proven Himself faithful. You have not withheld your son, your only son from me. So Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. That ram was born for that day. That ram was probably going, man, why am I stuck here? You know, his ram, his, his little horns are stuck in the thicket there, and God had provided that lamb to be there at that time on that mountain in Jerusalem to be a substitute for the son. So Abraham went, took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. Is that what Abraham, Abraham said? Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide or there's another way that the scholars kind of go back and forth. Or the Lord appeared. There's another way you can say that. Uh, the Lord has been seen. And sometimes the way that's the way we see the Lord because he appears to us as he provides. So they kind of go hand in hand. That's the idea. And, and Moses, who wrote this, said, As it is to this, uh, said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided or it shall be seen. And that was spoken there on Mount Moriah, all of these things picturing the love of God to His Son, Jesus Christ. We always think about Christ and the cross. We hardly ever think about God's view of it. And now we see it. This story shows us the view of God uh, on the cross. And it says all of these things were pointing forward 
to something that would happen in that very spot. And again, those of us who are going to Israel are going to stand right there in that spot where Abraham had the knife raised, the altar built, and there was a ram caught in the thicket. And once again, God provides for the needs of, of human, uh, humankind on that mountain. Powerful story, isn't it? The Old Testament is filled with riches like this. And as we close up, uh, I'm going to invite Nick to come back up. I've said this before, and I think, you know, repetition, we see repetition in the Bible, so I don't mind repeating myself, uh, especially because I don't come up with that much that's valuable to say. So I'm going to repeat it if it's valuable. But here's the thing. If you've been rejecting God, if you've heard of God, or maybe you've heard some wrong things about God, I hope that what this story tells you is that God uh, has offered so that you and He can be at peace the thing He values the most, His own Son. And He's begging, listen, He's begging through me this morning that you would be reconciled to Him. God was there in the cross reconciling the world to Himself, making peace. The world can't reconcile itself to God. There's no amount of works, no amount of things that we can do to bridge that gap. God did it. And we're going we're gonna to mash our heads, we're going to you know, search our hearts, and we're going to try to figure out, you know, all the experts are going to be on the television, they're going to be on the news, and they're going to try to figure out what in the world is wrong with our world. We're going to think gun control laws are going to fix it. We're going to think all these... Things are going to fix it. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. The problem is the human heart. G.K. Chesterton answered a, an essay contest in England. as a Christian philosopher. The, the question that the essay was supposed to be on is, what's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton answered it in two words. He said, the reply uh, to this question is, I am. I am. That's what he said. The problem is the human heart. The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? The word of God endures forever. And so God continues week after week at church after church for 2,000 years and longer to beg people to be reconciled to God. Because he so loved the world, he gave his only son, so that whosoever believes should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's true, isn't it? The same truth, back to Genesis chapter 22. Amen? Amen. Nick's going to lead us in a final song, and, uh, and then we'll be excused.